Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive Podcast. It's me, Chris Howard from Lace Partners. Thank you, as always, for joining us. Wonderful listener. Today's podcast is uh, in line with a number of different types of activities that you might have seen Lace Partners already producing in the back end of last year. Uh, we are in this year at the time of recording because we're recording just uh, at the Christmas period. But uh, when we release this, I think it will be into the new year. And what we've been doing in this quarter is we've had a campaign that's focused all around what we're calling the employee experience revolution. And if you haven't seen any of the activities that we've done, we've uh, produced some pods, some podcasts, we've produced some video content, we've had um, some blogs that we've produced as well. And it's all focused around how this concept of there is a revolution that should be happening within businesses, and it's all around employee experience. The general premise is that engaged and happy employees equals productive employees. And so the campaign that we've kind of delivered and also LinkedIn to some of the work that we did earlier on this year around our redefining workforce productivity campaign is all around that linking. How do you have happy and engaged employees that have amazing experiences that you can then drive your own productivity within your business and how it impacts the bottom line? So uh, it's all around uh, EVP, employee value proposition. And I'm going to bring our guest in at the moment. But before I do that, I'm just going to break down uh, why we've got our guest on because, well, we're breaking it down into four sections. The first section was all around the indisputable case for employee experience. So that was really looking at the commercial benefits for businesses. And I talked about, you know, how does it impact your bottom line a second ago? And then we've gone into a little bit of detail around crafting holistic experience. So, so looking at how businesses need to think about employee experience, not just as an employee receiving what experience do they receive from their line manager? But it's actually also what are the digital tools that they have? You know, I'm recording this podcast at the moment from the comfort of my own home, uh, but we also record podcasts from the office. And so what's the experience that I get at home compared to the experience that I feel within the office? And what's the tools that I have uh, within my job, you know, technology that helps to make my job, my experience of work as good as it is? And today is one of the uh, first section of our engagement campaign that we are we are delivering, and it's all around lessons from the C-suite. So what we wanted to do is talk to a variety of different professionals, all at C-suite level, uh, chief uh, executive officers. We're going to talk to some chief people officers, but also we wanted to talk to a chief marketing officer. And the reason we want to do that is because it's quite interesting seeing the synergies and what HR can learn from marketing people. I always need a partner in crime. I've literally talked for about five minutes there, and I should probably start introducing my guests. Otherwise, people are probably going to, if they've not already, they'll have switched off. So I'm going to stop myself from chattering and chuntering on and introduce Mr. Horton, Chris Horton, partner in crime. How are you doing, sir? You all right? Chris Howard, I'm really, really good. And I'm also excited to um, be discussing you know, employee experience with someone from marketing, because I think we can learn a lot in the HR space. Well, for a change, and this is quite comfortable for me and quite uh, enjoyable for me as a marketing person myself, I actually, um, uh, we're outnumbering the HR people today, and uh, I'll bring in the uh, the other marketing person who is helping us, helping me to outnumber the HR person and yourself, Chris. That is uh, Gonzalo Garcia Villanueva, uh, and he is the Chief Marketing Officer at uh, Nielsen IQ. Gonzalo, how are you doing, sir? And we talked uh, just before we went live about me butchering the surname. Give me marks out of 10. 
I would say eight and a half. Um, you know, certainly that. much better than most of the people I work with in the office. <laughs> well, thank I would you, Chris. And, yeah, it's and great to have you on. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, absolutely. Well, first of, first of all, thank you for having me here. I think, you know, the whole partnership around, you know, HR and marketing is something that, as we discussed before, I'm pretty excited about. So, yeah, uh, very, very happy to be here. And um, what can I say? As you mentioned, CMO of Nielsen IQ, w- you know, I come from, you know, being the CMO of GFK for, you know, the last four years and the two companies merged. Um, it was announced in 2022 and, and I was lucky enough to take over the CMO role, including marketing and communications for both organizations um both of them like leaders for you know almost 100 years 100 years for nielsen iq and almost 100 for gfk on on consumer data and brand data um so very very passionate about normally tech and data um and and, and i actually happen to be a technology engineer myself um even though i've been doing marketing for the last 20 plus years um you, you will see my history with Fujitsu and, you know, 11 years there and nine years with Bloomberg. That is always businesses that are, you know, are doing something about technology and, and, and data, you know, so it's, it's a pretty exciting journey. As you can tell by my accent and my last name, you know, I'm Spanish, but I've been in the UK now 17 years and that was definitely not in the plan. And um, and I don't know, from, from a personal perspective, very, very fun, you know, runner. I, I love running and I love my family and, and the charity I support, Chris Cancer. I will always endorse them because they're amazing and they do great work. So normally I match those two things and I run marathons for Chris Cancer, which is brilliant. Nice, nice. A man after my own heart, a runner in itself. So I'm going to open us up and then I'll uh, I'll get some views for, from you, Chris, as well, because we've talked about, you know, employee experience. We've talked about employee value proposition quite a lot lately. I'm quite interested to just kick us off with the first sort of question, Gonzalo, and just get your view on it. One of the things that obviously is a focus about employee experience is this idea of linking it to customer experience. So can I just get your kind of thoughts around, you know, how important it is that organizations, when they think about employee experience, they have that same mindset in terms of how they're delivering externally for customers and how that needs to be sort of mirrored. So I'll start off with you, Gonzalo, as our guest, and then Chris, I'll uh, I'll get some musings from you, if that's all right. Yeah, I think the whole experience for employees, you, you kind of mentioned it before, like companies that have, a, you know, employees that are more engaged and, you know, more connected to the purpose of the company that normally will perform better. And there's a lot of studies that actually show that companies that actually have the right talent and connected to the right purpose, you know, perform X percent higher than the average company. And it starts with that engagement and communications is the way that you sort of engage companies. I think, you know, over the years and in particular, but not limited to B2B, maybe we always look more externally to customers than we used to do internally. There's a number of reasons for that. Um, I think the first one for a B2B marketer with limited budget is that, you know, if you had a CFO that was looking at really hard short-term ROI, you would end up doing a lot of demand generation instead of thinking about more strategic, not not only employee communications, but even brand building and stuff like that. We'll get into a second side of things. I think the second one is that um, th- that very fact of, you know, more engaged, com- you know, employees actually just deliver better top line and bottom line has become very obvious over the last 15, 10 years. Um, and I think also the third one is that, you know, with with 
let's call it inflation in the marketplace, not having to recruit constantly because you have or retain more talent. And also then from my perspective as a CMO, the brand is more attractive to new talent, just keeps a, a really good control on your forecasting for personal costs. So yeah, it's become, you know, unavoidable, right? Like, you know, nobody should ignore it. I think the interesting thing, Gonzalo, so in looking at employee experience, and we've, we've really tried to focus in from a holistic employee experience. So we've not just focused on the sort of work environment or the physical environment or the digital environment. We've really, um, through a lot of the, the studies that we've looked at and with companies that we're working with, like Dragonfish, have looked at sort of, I guess, that more cultural and leadership element, um, which absolutely ties into customer centricity and, and also the purpose side of things. So I think, you know, absolutely all of the, the things that you're saying, it it results in a more productive environment. I'm interested in opening the bonnet and looking into the engine and looking at the kind of things that, that you know, as a CMO, um, you're incredibly used to because you've been doing it for years, but maybe for us as HR practitioners, we're not as we're not as familiar with. So what are what are some of the kind of things that, that you really do, whether it's from data perspective or understanding your customer better or what what are, what are the what are the key things we should be looking at? Yeah, I think Going back to what I was saying before, when, you know, previously marketing leaders were always focusing on the external aspect rather than the internal aspect and more clients, not even recruitment. It was mainly about clients is where you're thinking about their 360 experience, right? Mm -hmm. We will think about, you know, their key challenges rather than pushing features, just making sure that you understand their agenda first and then how your solutions map into that and then just cater all your messaging, you know, towards what are they feeling? Like whether it's horizontal themes and they have pressure around, you know, pricing or whether it's sustainability, there are concerns about technology and how AI is going to take their jobs, et cetera, or more specific professional niche, specific in my world. Sometimes they want to know how their brand is progressing, whether they need to do more promotions or less. So it's being customer centric in terms of their th themes and topics. So you need to do that when you're talking to people externally to recruit. And internally. The second thing, which I think is much more obvious because people get this, is we then think very much about the journey, that 360 journey. You know, now more than ever, when I started 25 years ago, it was much more offline. Now it's like 90% of it is online. But, you know, is, is there a journey that makes sense when you come to a website and there is a communication that goes to you that do they connect and relate to each other? You know, if I actually attract you to an event, whether it's virtual or, you know, physical, is the follow up from a marketing communication nurturing program or LinkedIn or even from an SDR or a salesperson? Is it again connected and making sense? And the timing is correct and is friendly and is in a way that you like to be consumed? So I think, you know, we'd be fair to say that certainly my teams became pretty good at doing that externally, but we have all these understanding of the customer. You'd certainly leverage all that data to understand like what they care about. We did surveys every year, but then you turn around and you do it internally and you just do it as a tick in the box exercise. Send a few emails and that's it. And we should be thinking, you know, about our, our employees the same way we think about our clients, you know, like a bit more white glove, right? Like, are we going to do an event where clear objectives of the event, what is the experience on the event, what do they get out of it? If you're going to film it, you know, really try and, you know, deliver a similar experience for those that have to join virtually, and they do it doesn't feel just like a recorded Teams, right? But no, like you're trying to make an effort to make that more valuable. Your emails to integrate more video, your other channels to actually, you know, engaging with a client or with, sorry, with an employee in, in other surprising channels, as long as it's not too intrusive, 
it's something that is a very nice, very nice surprise to the employee. And those things, those moments really connect employees. So I think it's that, it's that piece about starting with the data that you have a, a, about the customer, which in this case is your employee, which is part of the family, understanding what they want to do. And then just think about the broad spectrum of channels that we talk to people and just use them all beautifully, right? And then measure. You know, again, we will measure all of our campaigns with MQLs, you know, follow-ups, number of new contacts and so on, but we didn't do it with our employees. Well, you know, they give you feedback, just use it, and next year you will nail it. And there's nothing better than actually showing someone that we did something wrong, we listened to you, and we fixed it. That almost yeah. provides even more loyalty than getting it right in the first time. So, yeah, I think hopefully that is more specific to to how we think about it and how I partner with HR. And you're you're both in a role as an employee of the company and, and as the CMO. I'm interested in your reaction to how do you like to be surveyed? How do you like information to be gathered about, about you? So I I think I would answer individually the same way that I I push my team to think about campaigns again externally uh-huh. because I think that yeah. those are best practices. I always say it's like you're thinking about a customer externally or a prospect, and some people is are they are fond readers, right? And they can read 20 pages and they actually like that. Some of the people have limited time. So you might want executive summaries. Some of the people actually want video. Um, some of the people actually would like to actually have a round table. So the way that they consume or provide input is different. So I think it's not one. You need to offer a number of options. Some people are very comfortable with long surveys and they're very engaged about it. Some people actually want to do it in an environment that actually you're going to be recognized in a different way. Some people want to do it in events or workshops, right? So I think, you know, at the end of the day, the chief HR officer, as much as me, has to look at the cost and, and the value of the cost of each of these programs. But I, I think certainly you need to cover two or three options because not everybody, you know, likes to be heard in the same way. And then otherwise you run the risk of like only listening to the same people every single time, which is the people that are very vocal. And your company, mm-hmm. our company is 40,000 people and I need, you know, the value and the input from all of them. And some of them, depending on like, you know, studies of psychological, they might be more red, more yellow, more blue, more green. And you need all of them to actually make you better as a as a company. Yeah, it's really, really interesting that and this idea of, you know, that segmenting the workforce. And we've done podcasts in fact uh, chris and i recorded a podcast last week where we were talking about you know this idea of one six one size fits all for employees just doesn't exist anymore it hasn't existed for quite some time and i think hr uh, certainly from my experience from what i've heard in the four and a bit years that i've been working at lace there's a lot more talking around this building of employee personas that's certainly increased within the last few years i'd be interested to get your take gonzalo and then maybe actually your take as well chris on this about um how important do you think it is the relationship between HR and marketing? Because, you know, you're a chief marketing officer, you've got a CHRO. How closely do you guys work together is, is the first kind of question. And have you got any examples or any thoughts about where that where that really works, where you can bounce off of each other? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not a trivial question. Like, we all want to, like, work closely together and so on. But in my experience... Yeah. Either because of the companies didn't give enough importance to that aspect, you know, to the HR officer and or the CMOs, not the roles, but the ability for them to connect and spend. Because at the end of the day, you know, my time, you know, it's a resource and the time of the chief HR officer is a resource. The people under us is a resource, right? So sometimes companies not focusing on it will, you know, deter doing that. Sometimes individuals 
right? Like it's just, I'm not talking only about having chemistry or someone that, you know, obviously you, you respect as a professional. It's just that, you know, one of the two doesn't want to really align or doesn't see the value in the, in that alignment and it's not going to work. So I've, I've always pushed it and been very pragmatic about it, depending on the goals of the company and where they're going. Right. But in this particular case, I, I have to say we, we're very lucky. We have a chief HR officer that, you know, from a technical perspective, she's she's great, right? She understands what you know what levers you need to drive in order to achieve certain goals for our for our company. But what I love about her is that she has this you know like really 360 view of like you know what is the business. She understands our product portfolio. She can have a very articulate discussion about very technical aspects. She can have a discussion about comms, whether it's internal or external, with us, and and she cares about it, right? And she will give you feedback, good or bad. So uh, in that sense, it's great to have someone that is engaged because that. Cascades, right? And at the end of the day, you know, I, I can get on very well with certain members of the C-suite, but but I think, you know, it, it needs to connect at the level of like mid-management and individual contributors that are going to focus on that. We work a lot and we spend a lot of time and, and effort on, on areas of like, obviously, change management, as you can imagine, we're integrated into companies and actually more, but, you know, three or four of the acquisitions are super cool techie companies that complement our data with like digital shelf, whatever, whatever. Um, they're they're great high growth companies from a size perspective are slightly easier to integrate. They take, you know, time and you need to make sure that people are being welcome home, right? But it doesn't have probably the complexities of, you know, a $1 billion company like GFK, $3 billion company like, like Nielsen IQ. So as you can imagine, we, we spend a lot of time and effort on making sure that we're communicating frequently, we're clear to employees and so on. So we have quite a lot of the resources of our teams are collaborating on that and the integration office. We have something called the IMO, the integration management office. The other one is obviously employer brand. Right. We all know, you know, especially COVID has shown us or increased massively the turnover. People were rethinking their careers. Of course, everybody, even the people that were really great employers, high retention rates, even those actually saw a higher turnover. And you can't be just, you know, constantly throwing dollars out there to partners with agencies, headhunters and so on and so forth. And therefore, a very strong brand and the aspect of, you know, that brand as an employer, you know, some of the more subtle, you know, tenants of your brand all the way up to your purpose and your promise need to be very potent up. So she's very vocal. When, when I, someone like my brand director, uh, who is an amazing, you know, head of all the center of excellence, including brand, is driving down program. The HR team is really engaged, which is great, right? They're vocal because they know that then they're going to have to leverage it. The same way that we are very vocal when we are talking about the principles of our employees and, you know, kind of like the leadership qualities, right? So for me, the relationship just to recap super important you know between hr and marketing both for retention and externally for recruitment and then also to get keep people engaged and it does start and help when actually the cmo and chief hr officer are close and and align and even if it's clear where we don't align right but but i think that's very and, and in our case my final point is that it, it comes to life you know we do that engagement survey as i as i said before i really love it you know it's something that we did similarly but in GFK, but you know what I really love about Nielsen IQ's approach is that it, they take it very serious, and there's actions because you know there's this thing about people leaving sometimes not companies but managers, so managers that are not really doing their bit for people to feel engaged, feel connected to the company, you know, do their bit and be accountable. There's actions, there's repercussion, right? And there's trainings and all those stuff that they need to do. So I think that's a that's a really good example of how we collaborate. So, so I think it, it's fantastic to get the sort of mindset and and um, collaboration and understanding at the C-suite level. Um, you've talked a lot about journeys and personas and and then personalization that that happens from that. I'm interested in 
how many personas do you think are manageable from an employee perspective? Do you see that there's, you know, we need to personalize for everyone individually or is there is there groupings of, of people or types of people that we should be going after? Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't quantify the numbers. I think when we look at it, we um, at, at the results, it's very important to us to segment it based on top leadership what we call mid-management or extended leadership, yeah, and, and then just the you know individual contributors and team leaders. You know there is there is some expectations on who could be more engaged and so on. There's so, there's a lot of questions in our questionnaire, and some of them are about understanding goals and purpose and so on, all the way to you know feeling really appreciated at work, feeling like you have the tools to do things and so on. So there's certain expectations, like you know you, you need to be very have high expectations in terms of like some of those scores. It really if you really want to be, you know top of your game in retention and engagement and performance, right? And they differ by level of seniority. It's very different also by region, I would say. And we do see a lot of differences between departments. You know, I, I do obviously, we, we empower the chief HR officer to actually do that kind of like persona definition. It's, but I imagine that she would do it exactly the same way I do it externally. I think it's 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 where you want to have enough fingers in the pie without having too many fingers, but to have a good feel of the full pie. And secondly, where you start to feel like there's the areas that you really need to improve, maybe double down on those, right? Like you would actually dedicate additional focus. So I don't think it's around creating 40 personas, but I do think that the segmentation needs to be very clear and then have a plan you know, that is applicable to all the personas or segments and then some specific activity for the others. I think just as a, the recap of that, so it's basically saying, you know, different levels of leadership management, you know, individual contributions and, and team leaders, but it's also doing a geographic lens as well as a departmental lens to make sure that you're getting the, the appropriate um, different things. Yeah, yeah. I, think that's, I, I think that's really helpful to, I get the question from a lot of people, how much personalization is too much? And I, I think, you know, especially from an HR perspective where we are not as used to the process, um, it's understanding, you know, You've got to, to your point, you've got to understand the full um, organization. You've got to understand how it works. You've got to understand each of the components of the pie, but it's really making sure that, that you're, you're getting that flavor. Yeah. And, I, and the, you know, ultimately, you know, if you have too many, you will feel that it's very difficult to corral that and action it. Whilst if you have the right ones, for us, if we see that, you know, um, a certain department has a lower score than others. You have an accountable person, probably, which is the C-suite of that person that should really develop maybe a very strong plan for 2024, right? If it's actually a layer that is very high, for example, that, you know, leadership maybe doesn't know where we are getting or where we are going to, you have the board focus on it. If it's a whole layer on the bottom, probably HR is going to do something just about individual contributors worldwide. And if it's a region, we have regional precedents, right? So it makes it much more uh, actionable. And then you can put accountability on, on leaders because ultimately we don't want to just pull you know a finger in there just get a pulse of what's going on you want to do something if it's great you probably are going to should turn it into external material and reasons for people to work in your company and if it's not great you want to put an urgent plan to actually fix it right yeah absolutely it's um it, I, I do find it very very interesting i think every organization is different the complexities of each organization is different the way in which you should personalize therefore needs to differ as well i think that ability to be able to recognize and then activate any remedial action if it needed is is certainly important i wanted to just because we've got probably about five minutes left and i wanted to just touch on value vision purpose because this is something that 
as marketers, we spend a lot of time externally looking at, okay, how do we come across? How does our brands, how do the businesses we work uh, that we work for, how do they come across in the customer's eyes? So for us at Lace, we have three values, passion, innovation, and care, and we're constantly reinforcing to ourselves when we deliver our external messaging, our external comms, how are we coming across with that? I wanted to get your thoughts on how businesses can potentially get uh, better or improve or the importance of that from an internal perspective. And when we talked previously, when we were talking about running, uh, doing this podcast just um, well, it was about a month ago now, you talked about something called purpose washing, which I thought was really, really interesting. So can you just, for our listeners, just sort of touch on that a little bit, just give your views. It's that idea of, you know, marketers with their external uh, perception on values, vision, purpose, and how you can really drive that internally as well. Yeah, it's such an interesting one. And I think this also follows the same logic as before that, you know, best practices externally are the same as best practice internally, right? You just need to articulate the purpose in a way that is meaningful for employees versus, you know, the the, the solutions that you deliver and, and what they do for the world, right? But but it's the same thing. Like we the way that many of the top brands in the world use us, you know, is precisely to measure the the ROI of the brand building, including the purpose, clarity of the purpose, like, you know, all the way to like where to launch a new product. So we, we do this for top brands in the world, right? And let's face it, like if you see companies very long ago that like Apple or Nike that, you know, well, when people were still selling maybe too much on features, they started to already start to connect to a very different level with their consumers, right? And those are very visual because they always had campaigns that were much more about what they stand for and even, you know, which, which part of your human, human being they connect to, right? Um, guess what? Like fast forward, they've had, you know, the brand value has continued to grow. And when others were like jumping on the, on the you know, whole trend of like, oh, you know, we need to build a purpose. They, they have a much bigger practice. They're mature. They have momentum and they will never be blame for 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 purpose washing I, I see that a lot externally and internally people knows what good stands for right now right like we want everybody wants companies that care about these worlds and whether it's sustainability or cares about the people by being inclusive and you know obviously you know not tolerating anything that is not a good behavior towards you know nature human beings um and you name it I think in a way people knows what you know what under the ESG you know, environments, social and governance, or outside of the ESG is wanted. So people try to tick all those boxes. And listen, I do feel like purpose, like in any campaign that you would do, you should be, you know, aspirational and you should use that language. Like, you know, we might be very sustainable, but not as good as we want to be. And we want to be this much sustainable. So you don't need to stick to what you have done 10 years ago. You can be aspirational, but a lot of companies overreach. Right. And that's, you know, kind of like Chris with the conversation you and I were having about, you know, purpose washing. And the truth is, you know, being less ambitious and just slightly more realistic and then and then, you know, find finding that uniqueness, your niche. What is your core concept engages massively decision makers? Right. Because that's a differentiator. I find that even more so internally, like rather than saying you're perfect. Um, the truth, the truth is, when you define a purpose for a company, it needs to work both for clients, for employees, for shareholders. For every, otherwise, you have your team has not done a good job. Your CMO maybe or the brand director has not done a great job. It needs to connect with everybody, and then he, as you double click on it, it would explain and articulate it for each of these personas, right? And obviously, you know, I, I wouldn't want to work for a company. You know, I've, I've been lucky to to work for companies that are super committed to things like sustainability, have diverse workforce, and uh, they're engaged. And even in companies where maybe the diversity wasn't there, but they had a target 
and to have a you know better ratio of diversity, not just gender, but others, right? Otherwise, on the on the leadership, which is great. And they have realistic goals and they were open about them. So I think there's something about transparency. And the second one is then your uniqueness. Just capture it. When you're doing workshops, you know, and you need to include the HR people and tech people and commercial people and so on, capture that uniqueness. That if you connect your aspiration to be a better company into your purpose and the, that quirkiness makes people go like, I, I want to work here. It means much more for me. And then they will talk about that, you know, because it's a, it's a storytelling aspect. And, you know, Chris, you were a marketer. So it even makes it more easier, easier for them to become ambassadors of your company. Externally, it's the same thing. Like, you know, I do campaigns and I'll make sure that that purpose is present in all the, even if it's a pure lead gen campaign, there's some little DNA of the company there. But our DNA has some quirkiness there, right? And yeah. and that makes it makes you different from the next one. So I think that's as equal as an employer or a provider of tech services. Yeah, I really love that. I love the embracing your uniqueness because like everyone can write down, in our instance, uh, you know, every organization can write, you know, integrity or or whatever it is but actually to make it go beyond just words on the website or words said internally as these are our values guys being able to lean in and embrace that uniqueness and touch on that dna within the business is absolutely fantastic we're almost out of time mr horn is there anything uh, as we wrap up with aob is there anything kind of you wanted to just uh, bring out just as we uh, as we say goodbye to our lovely listeners today so i think I've really enjoyed Gonzalo and, and speaking, um, you know, ab about the the whole CMO function and, and what's important. I think there's learnings definitely from an HR perspective. I think it's very much, you know, data driven. I like the different things that we've talked around around journey and personas, etc. Um, but I do think, to me, super powerful purpose and uniqueness. So I've really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, and we can take that. I can uh, I can take that uh, uh, internally with uh, focusing on, on let's uh, let's really embrace the DNA of our business as well. Gonzalo, absolutely amazing to have you on. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, guys. It was it was certainly very fun, and hopefully, you know, I was not too passionate, but as you can see, I really care about this stuff. Um, we love passion. Hey, it's one of our values. We love passion. <laughs> HR on the Offensive Podcast, Mr. Horton. Thank you very much for joining me. Pleasure as always, Chris Howard. Um, you can, of course, get this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And if you don't know or if you'd like to find us on the Internet, you can do so, which is uh, lacepartners.co.uk forward slash podcast. If you also have a look at the Lace Partners website and check the insights section, you'll see a little section in there called the Employee Experience Revolution, which features all of the different pieces of content that we've produced related to our employee experience campaign that we're running. On behalf of Chris and myself and Gonzalo, thank you very much for listening and uh, we hope to see you next time on the HR on the Offensive Podcast. Bye-bye.